How can you be part of a religious community that straight up denies Sometimes science it feels or like sees the church it as suspicious? Trying to hold the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the Why are they so obsessed with keep trying to get answers, I would but they never don't even be a part of a church that is not welcoming the church is the most vocal political voice against immigration. Some churches still don't want to claim that worship was the actual Do you understand how ridiculous that is when the majority of people on the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the culture How is that actually? It seems like so much of the church Anti-critical thinking, are being a homophobic, too narrow, judgmental, disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world. <sighs> the church needs therapy. Welcome to the newest episode of The Church Needs Therapy. We've had some great guests recently. I think it was two or three in a row. Maybe it was two. We had Matthew Vines last week. And we had Drew on the week before. Maybe it was two in a row. So always grateful to have a run of two to three great guests in a row. And then always a good thing to be able to return and share some thoughts, share some things I've been thinking about. Sometimes I'll share some things I've been writing about. Or other times, like I'm going to do today, I'll take the time to respond to a few questions. But before we get into the questions, let's let's check in a little bit. It's the beginning of December. We're a couple weeks, maybe into the second week of Advent, which means we are all preparing for Christmas. This is our second edition of COVID Christmas. Last year was still very locked down. It was people uncertain of whether or not they should gather. It was before the rollout of the vaccines. I know our family did not travel last year. You know, most of the time we leave here, our church will do Christmas the last Sunday before Christmas. And then Christine and I and the kids will travel to California where her parents are, my parents are for Christmas. We didn't do that last year. I think people were still unsure. We were unsure. Traveling was still very weird and and scarier at that point but i feel like for this year it's a little there's a little more clarity on the best way for each of us to make decisions of how we want to gather you know traveling is more normalized the vaccines have been rolled out people are getting boosters some people are comfortable being indoors with masks on some are comfortable without masks depending on who you know so thankfully While things aren't perfect, I feel like we have a bit more clarity or permission or wisdom to be able to gather this year at least more freely than we did last year. So I hope if you are listening in, you will have some meaningful times of gathering and connection and the recapturing of that Christmas warmth that it's, it seems like there's something within all of us that longs for that Christmas warmth that we see in movies, that we hear in songs. And it's like there's always this part of us that still longs to experience that. So I hope some of that Christmas magic and connection and meaning is a part of your life this year. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm excited for Christmas. I love Christmas, not just the fact that this is the beginning point, the incarnation, the inception of the Jesus story, That, but I love all the Christmas junk. The lights, 
the Michael Buble reemerging out of the cave, the the Christmas movies, the Christmas drinks, the Christmas treats. I I I love it all. And I have no problems living deeply from the story of Jesus and still just loving all of the you know American Christmas junk traditions pageantry i just take it all in it's all 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 good and all sacred for me so i'm just going to respond to a few questions today as we prepare for the end of the year maybe i might have one more guest before the year is over maybe not we'll see but let's get to a couple a few maybe a few questions we'll see how long i rant about some of these let me pull this up here is the first question i have right here what is Advent and why is it important on the Christian calendar? Some people are surprised to know there is such a thing called the, Christ, called the Christian calendar. Usually for people who grow up in low church traditions, if you grow up in the church, like most evangelical churches are very low church. It means without the liturgy, like high church is Catholic, Episcopalian, Anglican, you know, the Presbyterians have some form of a higher liturgy at times. Low church is you don't really have all those traditions. And if you grow up in a what's called a low church environment, you don't always know the Christian calendar. Like you know Christmas and Easter, but you're not always familiar with Advent and Christmas and Pentecost and ordinary time and Lent, and then Easter, and, and all of the other days that are mixed in. But you know, one of the, if you've never heard of the Christian calendar, don't understand its purpose, here's a couple of thoughts on why I see it as such a valuable thing. One, the Christian calendar has the potential to take us through the fullness of the human experience. Right? It allows us to go on a journey that is able to touch, feel, embrace, focus on, and go through the complexity of the human experience. So Advent, like right now, is a season of waiting and a season of hoping when you don't fully know what's going to happen. Christmas is a time where there's new life being born. Lent, leading up to Easter, is a time of creating space and making room and clearing out the way for new resurrection life. Resurrection is a time we remember the resurrection of Jesus and we look for the resurrection that is all around us still. Pentecost, fresh blowing of the Spirit. There's The Christian calendar takes us, Good Friday, you know, the cross, the not just the death of Jesus, but the deaths that we all face in our life, the grief we all face. So the Christian calendar is genius even from a psychological level because the different focuses help us go through the parts of the human experience that we might want to avoid. Maybe we don't want to sit with the death. And the calendar invites us to do that on Good Friday. Advent, we don't really want to wait. We don't really want to go deep into our desires and acknowledge what we're still waiting for. But Advent invites us to do that. Easter dares us to celebrate. Christmas dares us to acknowledge the and affirm the goodness of creation even when it can feel hard. Like the Christian calendar is just genius on that level. And the other one is 
just a reminder there's another story. In America, there's holidays. There's Veterans Day. There's Labor Day. There's all of these different holidays that help us remember what it means to be an American. But obviously, prior to and more important than our identity as an American, if you're listening from the United States, is your identity as one who is beloved by God and who is in Christ. And the calendar says, before all of those holidays, these are the holy days that mark us and make us. So it's really the Christian calendar is subversive and challenging and provokes us to think about what is the deepest part of our identity. But so what, so that is my thought on the Christian calendar. And when I think about Advent, I think about this Thomas Merton quote, right? The great mystic Thomas Merton. And he says, true freedom begins not by telling slaves to be free, but rather by telling those who think they're free that they're actually slaves. Thomas Merton obviously is speaking at this point in a more existential personal freedom sense. It's not an economic and a political freedom primarily at that point. So it's an important thing to remember. But I think that quote's so important for Advent because Advent is the time we are honest about the ways we're not. Advent is the is us getting in touch with the darkness that makes us cry out for the light. Advent is us getting in tune with our desires so we can actually cry out for more from God. Like Advent is not water for the thirsty spirit. Advent is the salt that provokes the thirst we're normally too busy or distracted to know we truly have. Which which makes me think of this is an old kind of a silly story, but I really like it actually. There's a story about this guy who he's having issues like headaches and like kind of low, like lethargy, low energy, and he goes to see a doctor and he explains his symptoms, and the doctor tells him gives him this whole regimen. It says, each morning I want you to wake up and take this blue pill and drink drink 16 ounces of water. It says, at lunchtime I want you to take two red pills and drink 16 more ounces of water. And tells him that like four or five different times throughout the day. Finally, at dinner and after, I want you to take this last yellow pill and drink 16 more ounces of water. So the guy's like, man, that seems like a lot of medication. He gets worried and he thinks, what's wrong with me? And when he finally asks the doctor, like, doctor, so what's the actual diagnosis? What's the problem? And the doctor says, oh, it's just that you're dehydrated. So he's trying to get him to drink all of this water. And I like that story because from the symptoms and, and, the, diagn- or the, and, the, and the remedy, it seems like it could be a million different things when in reality the guy is just thirsty. And I think for us at so many times in our lives, it can feel like the issue is so many different complex things. When there's this foundational thirst, we still have that is driving us, right? That's a core conviction for me and how I relate to people is just that this idea that human beings are always thirsty for more. We're desiring more. We're wanting more connection. We're wanting more intimacy. We're wanting more um, courage for our creativity. We want to learn how to be more vulnerable. We want to open ourselves up for There's always this thirst that's driving us. And Advent is getting in touch with that primal thirst we have for more. Whatever expression it takes in our life in any moment, there's this deep universal thirst for more life that expresses itself in a million different ways. 
right? So it's a, an advent, a time of waiting, right? The Israelites leading up to Jesus, the Israelites were waiting and we're still waiting. The Israelites desired God to bring healing and we still desire God to bring healing today. The Israelites longed for a savior to come and lead them to freedom and we still are longing for different forms of freedom Today, the Israelites were waiting for justice and for things to be made right. And we still wait for justice. And we're still waiting for things to be made right in our world, in our country, in our families, in our communities, in our own relationships and lives today. The Israelites doubted and struggled, but still held on to hope. Which shows us the path of how we doubt and we struggle and how we still commit to be people of hope today. And the last thing I'll say about Advent is without the journey of Advent, it's just too easy for Christmas to become superficial or shallow. Without the Advent desires and prayers, the birth of Jesus can lose its power and wonder in our lives. Without embracing the journey of waiting for Christ, right? Not just Yes, they were waiting for Jesus back then, but for us waiting for Christ to be born again and again and again and again in all of the different areas in our world and our life today, without embracing that journey, it sometimes feels like it doesn't actually make a difference when Christ shows up again. So Advent, why is Advent important? Well, what are you waiting for still today? You know, are you waiting for more connection? Are you still waiting for guidance and a mentor? Are you still waiting for a healing that you thought you experienced already? Are you waiting for a community of faith and a church where you can be fully yourself when you don't know if you can be yourself in the churches that you've known? Are you waiting for are you waiting for hope? Are you waiting for a reason to keep creating and risking to love? What are you waiting for? Or what are you wondering about? Wondering what it means to be a person who's committed to peace in the world when, when war and violence just seems overwhelming. What are you waiting for? What are you wondering about from the depths of who you are? That is us getting in touch with the Advent journey as we approach Christmas. So Advent is, is such an important time to allow Allow the Advent journey to become the salt to provoke you to be more in touch with the thirst, the different versions of the thirst you still have in your life. And it allows us to own it, be honest about it, and cry out and invite, just like the Israelites cried out to God while they were being enslaved by the Egyptians, we still cry out to the God who hears the cries today. So Advent one of my favorite times of the year leading up to Christmas, so good. And that is some of the power of Advent. And this next question is very different. This next question says, what is your take on the Instagram account Preachers and Sneakers? Oh God. Uh, <laughs> for those of you listening who don't know, there's this sort of infamous Instagram account called, I think it's just called Preachers and like the letter N, Preachers and Sneakers. And here's my understanding of this account. I want to say it was 2017 or 18. 
and this account was created preachers and sneakers and what the person who created it did it's hilarious and it was meant as just a, a joke in some ways they created this account 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 they created this account where the person would post a picture of sort of some celebrity type of preacher or christian like at least there's some video of it screenshot it show the shoes they're wearing like a picture of them wearing it and then on the side they would put the shoes and how much they're reselling for on a website called StockX, which is a sneaker reselling website. So imagine you see this pastor who's wearing these sneakers, and in the same frame, there's they edited it in where now these shoes are reselling for $830 on StockX. So it started off as this joke of just, you know, these are, these are these expensive sneakers, and all of a sudden, it just blew up. I think it was on Hypebeast, which is this really well, well-known well streetwear blog or website, and it started exploding, and then Joel McHale, the comedian, was, like, posting about it, and it, I want to say that account got over 100,000 followers. Really, like, it went, it went viral, it went super viral. Got over 100k followers. Now it's probably at like 270 or something. The guy actually years later got a book deal out of it and wrote a book called Preachers and Sneakers that I think came out earlier this year. And the whole thing is, here's these pastors wearing these really, really expensive and exclusive sneakers. I mean, we're talking about $400 sneakers, $700 sneakers, $1,200 sneakers, sneakers that are reselling for over $1,000 for one pair of sneakers. Now, granted, a lot of people would say, well, that's not the retail price. Like if you ever got these sneakers retail, they were, let's say, 150 to 200 bucks. But now because they're so popular, they're reselling for over $1,000. And to be honest, most people don't get in retail. It's kind of how the sneaker business works. They're so exclusive. You get them on resale. But the account, what's my take on it after explaining that? I think the account raises all kinds of interesting questions about religious leaders and power and money and the humble way of Jesus. That is what I think it does. It's very polarizing. Like go in, go in the comment if you want some comedy and tragedy mixed into one go into the the comment section of preachers and sneakers and you will see people just clowning the pastors then you'll see people defending the pastors like strongly defending them and their right to you know wear a thousand dollar sneakers or whatever they're saying and here's what i think one i like sneakers i really do that's one of the few things i like I don't spend that much money on them. I don't think I've ever spent more than a hundred personally, like $150 on sneakers. I know Christine's got me a gift. Like my wife gave me some Jordans, but even those are less than 200, which isn't much for when people really are in the sneaker world. So I like sneakers. I'm like a sneakerhead who doesn't really buy that many sneakers. That's kind of how I would say it, but I like them, right? You know, Virgil Abloh, who is, you know, responsible for off-white sneakers, the head of Louis Vuitton eventually, who actually passed away recently. I just saw this thumbnail where he talks about sneakers and streetwear as like an art movement. So I think I like the art of it. I like the design. I just don't buy that many. And my question is, what's the issue here? Is it 
the amount of money each one of the pairs costs or is it the fact that having these shoes is sort of a status symbol like is are people upset because they're wearing $800 shoes which yes like I personally think is ridiculous to especially if you're spending that much money on them or wearing thousand dollar shoes um is it is it the price and the cost is it the fact that having these sneakers is like a status kind of flex on people and where the power dynamics of it's like having name brands like i'll be honest i when i see religious leaders specifically christians wearing designer name brands like gucci prada east saint laurent or whatever it is burberry i think that's just too damn much I'm like, come on. It's just, to me, it's someone could make the argument that those brands have such a high quality of design that it's worth it. And okay, you can make that argument. But for me, for most people, it's my perspective. I think having those kinds of name brands is a status oriented kind of flex. Like, why would, like, you're telling me that t shirt is really worth spending, I don't even know, $150 to $250 for a t shirt that just says the name brand? When to me, you can get a, a basic that looks essentially the same for $20. So I think a lot of the issues about it is. It's like Palm Sunday. You know, the Palm Sunday is there's the Roman procession. It's war and it's violence and it's status and it's power and it's dominance and it's flashy. So on one side of town, there's the Roman Empire just flexing. And when Jesus rides into town, he's on this humble, pathetic donkey. And like Shane Claiborne would say, that would be like Jesus riding in on a tricycle in our time. And whenever people preach Palm Sunday, it's always... Which procession are you going to trust? The rich, the powerful, the status, the empire, or the humble way of Jesus riding in on a donkey? Which, from my perspective, is more like peak satire Jesus that's just mocking the whole display of power in the empire by coming in on a donkey. So I think Preachers and Sneakers is, is exposing the ways in which the church is held captive and too captivated by the money and the status and the celebrity. That's what I think it is. I think it's really a critique of celebrity. It's status-seeking celebrity type of Christians. That's what I think at the core of it is a lot of that. So I think it's funny. I think the comment section is insane. The majority of what I see on there, or a lot of what I see, I do think is ridiculous and silly. And I think it raises all kinds of important questions. Um, I think there's a lot of Christians and a lot of Christian leaders who are trying really hard to sit down, sit down at the tables that Jesus was telling us we don't need to try to sit down at. So I could say more, but I'll stop there. I'm gonna say I'm gonna answer one more. What's your take, preacher? Okay, let me go down. But go check out the account for yourself. See what you think. Yes, if you have a $2,000 Louis Vuitton belt on, I'm like, gosh, just stop it, please. That's that's what I think. I just I just give my I just face palm myself and be like, are you effing kidding me? That's my response a lot of times before I go about my day. The last the last question says, you've quoted Meister Eckhart. Meister Eckhart, mid medieval mystic, 
one of the still one of the considered one of the greatest mystics in the Christian tradition today. His work is you know over five hundred years old. And it says, you've quoted Meister Eckhart before when he said, God is not found in the soul by adding anything, but by a process of subtraction. It's just a great quote. And then it says, it sounds great, but what does it actually mean for us? Like, how does that truly work? God is not found in the soul by adding anything, but by a process of subtraction. I'm going to... I'm gonna look at something I was I'm something I was writing for not the first book that's coming out but for a second book that I'm also trying to make happen right now. Okay, but it, the, you know I basically I'm done with the second book right now while I'm waiting to get a release date for my first one. And you know you think about that idea of the a spirituality of subtraction and the removing right. It's not that like here here okay. When it comes to issues of awakening and experiencing God, the issue is not that you don't love God enough. It's that you won't let go enough. Let me say that again. When it comes to awakening and experiencing God or experiencing love or experiencing grace for yourself, the issue is never whether or not you love God enough. The issue is whether or not you will let go enough. So from my perspective, the question is not whether or not God's going to enter in. It's whether or not you are going to remove everything that allows you to open up. <clears throat> like, think, think about it like this. There's multiple things that can get in the way of us experiencing the divine, right? Meister Eckhart says, God is not found in the soul by adding anything, but by a process of, of subtraction. So... Think about one thing we need to let go of in order to experience spirit is our attachment to false stories that prevent us from being open, right? There's these scripts we've unconsciously been handed in life that turn the simplicity of receiving love into this convoluted process we can never seem to untangle, right? Everybody has these kinds of hidden, unconscious, and sneaky plot lines that get in the way of love and connection that we desire. And within these stories are these relentless ideas that make unguarded intimacy. That's such an important phrase for being open to God, unguarded intimacy. So within these stories are these ideas that make that unguarded intimacy and openness to the Spirit so difficult. For example, performing for others is the only way to be accepted by others. Or being unique and special is the only way to be recognized and desired. Or my presence will eventually become a burden. That's one I per personally connect with a lot. People only care for me because they see it as an obligation. No one can ever fully love unless, no one can ever fully love me unless I'm helping them and doing something for them. So even just, that was like, I think five, exam five examples. Do you connect with any of those? These are plot lines and stories we picked up along the way. And here's the whole subtraction thing. This is just one example of the stories we hold on to. Though living into these stories prevents us from being vulnerable and open enough to be loved, we're addicted to them because they keep us in control and don't allow us to be hurt. See, in the spiritual life, what we need is simplicity, vulnerability, and staying open. But what we prefer, I would say what the ego prefers, is complexity, control, and remaining closed. 
And we think these false stories are just about our relationship with other people, but it always goes deeper. These narratives we carry within us do not only get in the way of receiving love from people, they also prevent us from experiencing the presence of God. So think about it like this. Being open to anything makes you more open to everything. And being close to anything makes you more close to everything. This is why the great Italian mystic St. Catherine of Genoa said, Just as a covered object left out in the sun cannot be penetrated by the sun's rays, in the same way, once the covering of the soul is removed, the soul opens itself fully to the rays of the sun. The more the rust of sin is consumed by fire, the more the soul responds to that love and its joy increases. And I would add, and the love the soul responds to is both directly from God or the connection with other people. Now, I'll tell you a personal story that will help you make sense of a spirituality of subtraction and specifically how stories that we carry with us get in the way. Christine and I were in Washington, D.C. for this event, I think four or five years ago. You know, it was wonderful. We got to see old friends, co-laborers. Washington, D.C. is a great city. And on the final night, we were in a time of worship and communion. And Deb Hirsch, pastor, writer, kind of leading thinker, she comes over to my, my wife was pregnant at the time, seven months pregnant. And Deb comes over to my wife and I, and to, she's gonna, just going to give us some encouraging words. And so she starts to give us these encouraging words. And she asks if she could pray for us and our baby. So a leader and a woman who we both adore and admire wants to bless us and our child, right? So it sounds simple and good, right? Praying, blessing. But here's the thing. It wasn't that simple. And here's why. While she was affirming and encouraging us, and as she started to tell us that she wanted to pray for us, I could feel my ego begin to contract. Like a close your fist right now, it contracts. And my heart start to close off because one of my old stories was arising. And my old story, if I had a voice, it would say this. Well, she has to say this. She doesn't truly mean this. She says stuff like this to everyone. Whatever, I'll just sit here and go through the motions while she does it. See, I've always had this weird suspicion of people in authority. I've questioned their motives, and I've always initially doubted their care for me. So this inherited narrative, this story that was a part of me, it made me believe that someone in authority who I respect and admire could never be genuinely interested in me or enjoy my presence. This story always made me feel like a burden to people I admire. Like somehow I'm going to stick around too long, wear out my welcome, and become an obligatory presence that they're secretly hoping to get away from. Like I always carried that story within me somehow. So in that moment, I could hear the voice of this old story telling me not to trust her or allow her words in. That it would make me look like a fool for believing her and accepting her love for us because she didn't really mean it. And here's what, here, here's, here's the important part. I could feel this old story trying to keep me closed off, make me shut down, and force me to go through the motions without truly allowing myself to open up. And if this story remained in place, it would not allow me to take in the connection of the moment and receive the goodness that was flowing to me. So 
Do you see how these narratives we carry within us not only get in the way of receiving love from people, but also prevent us from experiencing the presence of God? Can you feel in that story how love, grace, connection, and the Spirit were all present? And it was my own distorted story that was getting in the way of me receiving everything I desired. So then what happened in the story? Well, I recognized the protective story for the lie that it was. I disidentified with it. I allowed it to pass by me. I surrendered and fell into the love of the moment because love is always something we truly fall into. And then, of course, I cried. (laughs) When I released, relaxed, and let go of this old misguided narrative, I could, I mean, I could feel my ego completely uncoil. The horizon of my being expand, and my heart open up freely enough to receive the love that was flowing and the spirit that was pouring out. And then I cried some more. See, there are stories we all need to let go of to be more open to love. There are stories at work in you that are getting in the way of God. There are plot lines in your mind that you've used to protect yourself from being hurt that are now preventing you from being loved. There are old scripts that keep trying to get you to read the same lines and stay the same character, but there's a new story you're called into and one that always concludes with you being loved. In more mature stages of faith, the defining tension for growth, experience, and being known by God is never whether or not you have been good or bad. It's always whether or not you are opened or closed. Spirit is infinitely pouring itself out in and through this universe. Love in its self-giving nature is always giving itself to you. Grace just is. So are we opened up or shut down, available or distracted, allowing or rejecting? Meister Eckhart, the, the God is not, it's not by adding anything to the soul, but by a process of subtraction. Stories you have about your life are getting in the way of you experiencing love and they need to be let go of. You know, expectations you've had on life that are now making you frustrated need to be let go of in order to experience spirit and grace more. There's so, so much, the the deepest things of our life, it's not adding anything to your life. It is the removing, the subtracting, the eliminating, and the letting go of everything that is getting in the way. That is what Meister Eckhart and all of the great mystics are getting at. It's never about whether or not God is on the way. It is always about whether or not you or whether or not I am in the way. Those are my questions and answers tonight. I hope you journey through Advent well. Prepare your heart for for the Christ to be born again within you and around you this Christmas. For those of you listening in, my love is with you. Um, God is for you and... Let's keep moving forward and doing this together.